Welcome to the Found Cause, where we found our cause and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Michael, the man behind the machine, into my virtual front. It's Theodore, under the PC, under the person of Christ. It's been a while, Theodore, since we did a, a, just a two of us episode together. Sebastian's sick of the flu or something. Yeah. Yeah, but it's not just us. As you can see, we've got a beautiful female co-host right now um, up on the screen. <laughs> this is a... Let's. I'm already forgetting her name. This is... Christy Burke, I had to go look it up, thank you. Christy Burke, and she is a Christian turned atheist, um, and she's a girl, which are like two YouTube, maybe in like 2010, that would have been a perfect YouTube channel, right? Um, but she's doing, well, I mean, way better than us, so who am I to speak? Um, but she has a couple YouTube videos out there about her conversion away, I mean, that's mainly what the channel is about. Theodore, you watched her more than me um, and saw some of her background. Do you wanna give some of her background? uh sure <laughs> so i only watched one other video besides this one and there's the yeah she was basically giving her story of how she um braced atheism and became like actively basically proclaiming atheism uh what she does on her channel it seems um and so she was uh originally christian churchgoer and then she started dating Calvinist. That's and... us. Whoa. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> There's a Michael's favorite word, nuance. My least Even favorite word. In Calvinism. <laughs> Whatever, I'm making you a Calvinist no. in this video. Okay, sure. Close enough. And so she was dating Calvinist and did not like what she was hearing um, from him even though she could understand points he was making from scripture. Um, nonetheless, she broke up with him and then she started um, getting into things, reading things and eventually basically deconstructing faith um, where she's at now. Yeah. Um, Which is a pretty normal story. Atheistic. Right. Like as soon as you... As soon as you start looking at it, you're like you're, you're culturally Christian because your parents were and whatever else, and it sounds nice. But as soon as you actually are challenged into defending why you believe it, um, that's when you choose to either like double down on it or you leave it. And so she was challenged by the Calvinist guy because Calvinist was saying things that don't normally happen in like super secret sensitive churches about God being sovereign over all things and that he's even sovereign over the evil things that happen. And therefore, like you, um, it wasn't evil that overcame God's will when somebody got cancer or somebody killed somebody. It was like. God fully knew this was going to happen and either allowed it or even brought it about sometimes. So um, that's challenging. And so when she was challenged, she decided she hates God. She does not love God, which, um, yeah, that's that's what Romans 1 describes people who aren't saved as, as haters of God. So um, to me, it's not shocking that she does the flip to atheism because that seems logical, right? You reject God, so now you're going to just take the position that is rejection of God as opposed to running to a different God. So... We've done a lot of atheist reaction videos before in the past. Um, there are a lot of categories of people that decide to be atheists, but again, fundamentally, they don't like the God of the Bible. I think universally, any atheist does not like the God of the Bible. So it's not just that they don't believe in him, it's that they also don't like him. Um, however, um, they each take different angles on exactly why they don't like him. Um, sometimes it's just because he's not scientifical, um, and they point to Noah's Ark, and they point to the creation of the world, and whatever else to point out that um, their religion is so much better than our religion. Um, I think our religion is better than theirs, so we'll see who's true. Uh, but she's taking, this is a specifically Christian anti-apologetic, um, taking the Bible and saying seven times that Paul contradicted Jesus. And that's the kind of apologetic that I appreciate more because when you're doing things like Noah's Ark or, or other historical things, um, they will quote facts and I'll quote facts that counteract their facts. And then we both sit there like pointing at each other, like the Spider-Man meme, because we're both appealing to outside authorities. Whereas in this one, we're both appealing to the Bible, which we should, I mean, at least I'm very comfortable with talking about. And if if she disproves Christianity from the Bible, like I should be, you know, we should all, Christians should be convinced, right? Because we all share the Bible as a shared authority. Whereas there are Noah's Ark stuff. They'll say some scientist says that they are this 4 billion years old and there was no flood. And I'd be like, well, I don't believe that scientist. And then we don't share a common authority. So in this one, she's appealing to a shared authority. At least I share it. Um, so I'd like to see what she has to say. Any more preamble, Theodore, before we let her talk? <laughs> I'm good. All right, let's see what she has to say. Seven times Paul contradicted Jesus. Let's hear it. Hi, welcome back to my channel. My name is Christy, and today I want to talk about 
Paul. The Paul, the Apostle Paul, the I had a vision on the road to Damascus and now my life has changed and I'm no longer persecuting and killing Christians, but now I am a mouthpiece for Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been following me on TikTok for a while, you probably already know I've got some beef with Paul. I'm not a big She's a she's a TikToker. Ah. See, this is this is the next wave of atheism, right? Comes from TikTok. Uh I appreciate it. It gives good content to react to. And I feel like we're stronger for for reacting to strong opposition to Christianity. So uh, bring it on because I, uh, many other faiths, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholicism often, um, they don't want criticism because they can't really handle it, right? Their faith is fake, so they can't handle it. Um, but I'd like as much criticism as possible so that we can prove out how strong the truth is. Um, so let it come fan okay <laughs> i don't like the guy i don't trust him i don't like his writings and i don't think that he was really aligned with what was written about jesus i think they were teaching completely different messages and it this this sounds like the calvinism thing huh because a lot of paul's writings are where you get uh, it's like 50 percent of the gospels and 50 percent from paul mostly uh, where calvinism is built the unique tenets of calvinism so she doesn't like paul because he's like uh, not woke a very not woke guy it is my opinion that if christians spent more time comparing the words of Jesus and the words of Paul, I think that they might have a lot of questions for Paul and they might even see him as one of the false prophets that Jesus warned against. And the reason I say this is because in Matthew 24, Jesus warned of false prophets. Jesus was talking about the destruction of the temple and the signs of the end times. It says uh, in verse one, Jesus left the temple and was walking away and his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. He says, do you see all these things? Truly, I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. And his disciples say, when will this happen? What will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? So his disciples want to know what to look for. What signs should we be on the lookout for for the end times and you know Jesus answers and he says first of all before anything else he says watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and many will and will deceive many you will hear of wars and rumors of wars and then he goes on to talk about you know all of the signs but he starts out with a very important statement watch out nobody deceives you people are going to come they're going to trick you they're going to deceive you and they're going to lead people astray so be on the lookout for those people. And then in verse 11, after he kind of discusses, you know, some of the things that they'll experience like earthquakes and violence and war, in verse 11, he says, again, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. And then again, in verse 23, he reiterates it. And he says, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Messiah, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. This is loaded because- And I'll say, we agree with those warnings and we should look out even today for false prophets. Um, many, Theodore, I'm sure, would agree. There are many false prophets out there. Theodore is like, you've looked into the Pentecostal um, movement sometimes with these people who are proclaiming that Trump was going to win in 2020 and that was like a God-given vision or whatever. Um, so, I mean, we both very much agree that there are false prophets. We're not non-skeptical when it comes to people claiming to hear words from God or whatever else. Um, so, same back in Jesus' day, if not more so, when the end was drawing near the end of the temple and the Jewish age and all that, there were specific instances of people claiming to be Christ returned or the true Messiah and trying to lead people out in rebellion and of course losing. And ultimately you could say the rebellion that led to the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, the, the Roman Jewish war then was led by false messiahs claiming that they could declare independence for Israel when they didn't have God's backing and they didn't. So I would say these warnings from Jesus were, Yes, they can apply to any false prophets because you never want to listen to a false prophet ever. Um, but I would say they were specifically for the period between his um, death and resurrection and the destruction of the temple. So after that, like, yes, there's false prophets and whatever else, but that's not really the false prophets he's warning specifically about. I think he's warning specifically about false prophets who were going to try to raise up the Jewish kingdom against Romans um, and perish for it. And when the Romans invaded and 68 or 67 AD, um, the Christians read, fled to Pella um, and survived, whereas the Jews stood to fight so that they had God's backing and, and died. So they heeded the words of Jesus. And also, correct uh, me if I'm wrong, but uh, I think Paul spent like 15 days with Peter. Um, some of this might be mentioned in Acts. Um, so Paul and Peter met and stayed together for 15 days. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we'd... Uh, Assume Peter taught Paul anything that he needed to know that he did not already know or did was not already revealed in Scripture or from uh, or Jesus himself. Um, and then I think Paul also speaks of meeting with your James John. Sorry, Theodore, your mic was starting to cut out, so we restarted. 
you were saying that Paul also <laughs> met with the rest of the uh, Peter, James, John, um, and the other apostles also entrusted Paul with uh, like uh, finances, offerings, mm-hmm. donations, or whatever um, to travel with and deliver um, to the churches or other saints in need. So we see basically a bunch of trust for Paul and we don't see anything saying he's a false prophet or don't listen to him. Um, and I guess I could also add, we also see Peter in Peter's letter saying that Paul's writings, his own letters are equal to scripture. Right. So, so. it's not just Paul saying I'm, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ. Listen to me in his own writings, but the author of Luke and Acts, probably Luke, um, we historically Luke, uh, if you believe the Gospels, right, so the stories of Jesus Christ, Luke is one of the authors there, and he writes Luke and Acts, and Acts it had, describes the Acts of Paul. And there are false prophets and teachers called out in Acts, um, but Paul is not among them. Paul is, like you said, respected by the rest of the apostles, even corrects Peter. And, of course, like you just said, in two of Peter's letters, one of them he references Paul and says that people try to distort his words as they do the rest of God's word. And so that insinuates that Paul is speaking the word of God in his letters and that people are trying to distort Paul's word, i.e. they're, you know, they're the enemies of God are the enemies of Paul, that Paul is with God. And so if you are a Christian at all and you believe the Bible at all, Paul is in line with scripture. But I'd love to see if she has contradictions just because if there are contradictions, perhaps these aren't even the letters of Paul, right? Like maybe we should take them out of scripture or something like that. But if you believe Jesus, you would believe Paul because his, you know, it's, it's all, um, so on the same scripture package, right? But let's see what she has to say. Because if you think about Paul and who Paul was, he came on scene very early and he was persecuting these followers of the way, as it was called in the beginning. It was not Christianity, it was the way. And he was persecuting these people. And then he had a, 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 a vision. He had an experience where Jesus... Uh, you know, came to him and basically changed his life and told him to turn from those ways and, and, and decided to make him a mouthpiece for Jesus. That's what Paul is claiming. But if you listen to Jesus, he's saying, hey, be, be careful. People are going to come through and they're going to claim to be me or, you know, claim to speak for me. And they're going to deceive a lot of people. I would consider Paul to be someone who deceived a lot of people. If he wasn't preaching the true message, then a lot of people were deceived by Paul because Paul, he was responsible for kind of the spread of Christianity. And including the apostles, meaning they were also deceived. And I think it's interesting that Jesus says that false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and wonders to deceive. Paul cast out demons. He performed miracles. He he performed several miracles according to the text, according to the New Testament. And so he's checking the boxes, right? Like he comes on scene. He, in Galatians 2.20, which was my... Remember, Peter also performed signs and wonders. So is it is it a checkbox of a false messiah or is it the false messiah trying to look like a real real profit right I mean, disclaimer i could not finish this video pers because uh it was it just seemed so weak and like we haven't even got to any contradictions yet he's just viewing how she feels about paul well i mean that's part, to partly pick. our fault right because we keep pausing right <laughs> my favorite favorite bible verse in my teenage years, I had it painted above my bed. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So he is making a statement about how he has essentially died and Jesus took over. And now the one that's living through him is Jesus. So he's essentially propping himself up to be on the same level of Jesus. And it's so funny how so many Christians see this as... Um, he calls himself the chief of sinners. Like this is a hard stretch because Paul makes it abundantly clear that yes, he has authority and yes, he has truth to speak. And so listen to the truth. Don't just ignore him because there's plenty of people who didn't didn't want to listen to Paul. It's like they don't want to listen to, to good preachers today. But when he says this, that, that it's no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me, that is a statement that any Christian should be able to make, right? So it's not an exclusive claim to authority of Paul's. He does make exclusive claims to authority in different parts, but that's not one of them. So an adverse to use there kind of an act of humility when you die to yourself and let Jesus live through you. I think that what they're doing is they're actually putting themselves on the level of Jesus and they're claiming that this isn't me, this is Jesus. Who I am now, who you perceive when you talk to me and interact with me is Jesus. It's not me, it's Jesus. <laughs> like, that's exactly what pastors are doing. That's what people are doing when they say, like, I've died to myself and Jesus lives in me. You're basically calling yourself Christ. You, you really are. And so, again, Paul is kind of propping himself up as as Jesus. He's performing signs and wonders. It even says that he will lead astray as many as possible, even the elect. Now, 
I think the elect, according to Jesus, was the Jews, because Jesus was a Jew. He was forming his own kind of Jewish cult. Uh, he followed the Jewish religion, and that's that's what he was there to minister. He was there to minister to the Jews, according to his own words. But then Paul comes along, and he starts ministering to the Gentiles. And a lot of the people, a lot of the Jewish people that were a part of this movement, didn't like that. They didn't want the Gentiles to be welcomed in. And you I mean, again, if you believe that Jesus was real and all that, granted, thank you, I appreciate that. Um, you believe the Gospels, which are the sources that write about Jesus. And if you believe the Gospels, you know that Jesus himself says to the Jews that not all of you are true Israel. And then he talks about how Elijah went to the widow, the Sidonian widow, right? Not the many widows in uh, Israel and Judah. And how the Syrian general, Naaman, was, was healed from leprosy and not all the lepers in Israel. And that's when his own townspeople want to stone him to death and he escapes, right? So Jesus was not... It was not somebody who ignored the fact that this message was going to go out to the Gentiles as it had, had as God had acted in the Old Testament too. And so it is not, it's not a different message that Paul is preaching when he goes to the Gentiles. This was always God's plan, even from Jesus's mouth. And so the reference to the elect there from Jesus, even if you didn't have Paul's writings, you could still get Calvinism out of it because Jesus talks about how anybody that the Father gives him, he will not fail to raise up in the last day and that nobody can come to him except those who are his sheep. And you don't hear me, he says to the Jews, because you aren't my sheep. So yes, of course, Jesus was first going to the Jews and he tells his disciples to go specifically to the towns of Israel. That was for his ministry sake. He always was intending to have this, his message go out to the Gentiles. So that's not a contradiction between Paul and Jesus. You see a lot of people leaving in the earliest days. That's why you have texts about, you know, oh, if they went out from us, they were never a part of us in the beginning because people were leaving the faith in the very beginning. And so it's interesting that if, uh, you know, the elect were the Jews, according to Jesus, and he's saying that the elect will be led astray and leaving in the beginning because they were inviting all these other people in, well, then a check, you have another box checked. And so if you consider that, you consider that Paul is checking the boxes of false prophets and Jesus was so eager to warn against these false prophets. Let's just pretend for a minute We'll work within the hypothetical framework that Jesus was God, that Jesus was who he, you know, claimed to be or who the, the church claims him to be, that he was actually making a prophecy and he was prophesying that. Yeah, she says that as if Jesus didn't claim to be God. Different issue, but of course Jesus claims to be God. Um, so one of the reasons the Jews wanted to stone him and one of the many times they wanted to stone him was that he claimed that he was there with Abraham before Abraham was, I am, um, which is of course the the me the, the word phrase used in Isaiah to describe God. And so the Jews knew exactly what he was claiming and they stoned him, or they tried to at least. And then equally, when he was at Sanhedrin being tried right before he was crucified, um, the high priest says, do you have any words to say about these allegations of you claiming to be God and claiming that you're the Messiah and claiming you're going to destroy the temple? And Jesus says, um, first of all, you'll see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven on, you know, soon, right? And you'll see me and meaning I'm, I am the Messiah. And then two, the high priest asks him explicitly, plainly say it. Are you the son of God? And Jesus says, you have said it. Like he doesn't say, no, I'm not. He says, like, that's true. So yes, he does claim to be God. There would be these false prophets. Well, Paul checks that box, every box. And then some, because not only is he checking those boxes, performing signs and wonders, casting out demons, deceiving people, driving away the elect. Not only is he you have yet to prove him deceiving people, but um, yeah, also right. James and Peter and whoever else performed signs and wonders. Like that was a mark of his disciples too. So that's not a, um, it's not a checkbox for a false prophet. False prophet would be he's, somebody who's declaring a different gospel. Right. He's checking the boxes for an apostle or a prophet, mm -hmm. um, but he's not preaching a false God. Right. Or even claiming prophet. to be Christ. Like the whole Christ living in me is not, oh, it's right. not a claim to authority. Like even if you read the text, he's not claiming authority there doing all of that, but he's also teaching a completely different message than Jesus taught. He's adding to the message a lot even. And sure, if you believe that Jesus spoke to Paul and is speaking through Paul, then, you know, you can say that it is the message of Jesus. But anybody can say that Jesus is speaking through them. Pastors do it all the time. Just because Paul claims that he had a vision of Jesus doesn't mean that he actually did. Some really weird pastors that are either claiming that Jesus is speaking through them, like new messages. Me and Theodore would both stand on the side of saying that Yes, God can and has given prophecy, but like we just described, people are giving false prophecy about Donald Trump winning in 2020 when he clearly didn't. We we also should take that skeptically. And those are like weird fringe Pentecostal pastors that we would also call out because when you claim to be speaking on God's behalf, 
that's a very bold statement. And the standard for that in the Old Testament is if it doesn't come to pass, if your prediction doesn't come to pass, if your authority you apparently from God doesn't come to pass, you get the death penalty. So it's not a whoopsie, you know, I, I misread my the casserole I ate last night for yearning of the Holy Spirit. Anybody who claims to speak for God in this life will be judged to the highest degree. That is taking the Lord's name in vain. Like that's what the commandment means. And you know, people will argue that he changed, his life changed and all that. I think that there could have been a lot of motives for why Paul did what he did, but I'll save that for another video. Maybe I'll do a whole video on why I think Paul is not trustworthy and kind of deep dive into Paul because it is a fascinating subject. He is a very mysterious character of the Bible to me. Um, and so I have a lot of thoughts on him. But what I want to do now is I want to look over the contradictions between his teachings and Jesus. There are a lot of contradictions between their teachings, but there are also a lot of contradictions between their own teachings, right? So Paul contradicts himself. We see Jesus contradicting himself when he says to love others and to just love people. But then he says you have to hate your whole family to follow him. So <laughs> I'd love to see the quotes there, right? Um, <laughs> yes, he definitely says uh, that you have to hate your mother, hate your father, hate your brother, hate your wife if you won't leave them to follow him, right? Like you have to, to in order to get to the kingdom. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, those are not contradicting terms, right? The hate being used there for your father and mother is the, like a hateful neglect because you're going to have to neglect their cries in order to serve the kingdom. They're going to ask you to stay when you actually can't. Um, so that is hate it's kind of hate it's not the hate that you're thinking of um, because when he says you must love your neighbors as yourself and pray for your enemies um, that you still do that for your your mother and father and all the rest you're just loving god more um, that's why the first two commandments are love god with all your heart soul and strength and then the second one is love your neighbors yourself we always love god more than your neighbor and that's the priority that jesus shows as well as he also categorizes the two first commandments as as those two we're seeing a lot of discrepancies between their own teachings. So it's kind of, it's hard to say that they contradict one another when they also contradict themselves. But I do want to kind of look at some of the teachings of Jesus, some of the teachings of Paul, and let's let's put them together and let's see if they could even be compatible with one another. Starting in Matthew 23, 8 through 10, Jesus says, You are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father and he is in heaven, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. So I think it's pretty clear that Jesus is telling his disciples that they are not teachers. They are not instructors. They are not to prop themselves up to be in that position of authority over other people teaching them things. That is not true. And that is not the meaning of the text. Um, Jesus was a rabbi and went around teaching as a rabbi. He instructed others to go teach the gospel. In fact, the, the great commission at the very end of Matthew, same book, is go forth and make disciples, teaching them my commandments that I've taught to you. So teaching was an explicit command of Jesus. What he says here is don't make um, honorifics for yourself, right? So it's not, the, it's not the, the role of being a father or a rabbi or instructor that's important. It's the honorific. Um, like Roman Catholics use father, father, father. You know, they say father, Michael, father, Theodore, if, as if it's a title. Um, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't use such honorifics because it's what the rabbis were using of the day. Do you have a disagreement, Theodore? Oh, no, I was just going to bring up uh, how two weeks ago we mentioned basically idolizing mm -hmm. um, teachers, counselors, instructors, and it's potentially part of this, too. I mean, not supposed to, like, idolize them or hold them higher and uh, how high they should be held. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely, right? The problem with the Jews today, conservative Jews... And the problem with the Pharisees back then is that they hold tradition above the word of God. And so this is exactly why I think Jesus is calling out because they're holding rabbis and instructors above the word of God. And so a rabbi and instructor should always be correctable by God. So don't even use the title. Just like Jesus says, don't even take a vow, right? Um, and sometimes you need to take a vow. God's law even commands for if you take a vow, here's how you do it. But Jesus is recommending you don't even take a vow. So here he is recommending you don't even take a title, right? So I don't know that this is a, I, I would put that in the same vein here, and that it's not a hard and fast rule not to take honorifics. It's Jesus' strong recommendation, just like his strong recommendation is not to take a vow. Uh, to me, that's pretty clear here. Or to divorce, actually, while I'm on the roll here. Like the, the law, so Jesus was the word, he gave the law in the Old Testament to Moses. Uh, the law allows for divorce, but it doesn't rec recommend divorce and it never requires divorce. Um, sometimes it requires the death penalty of your spouse, but that's that's a different thing. And so when Jesus speaks against a divorce, he isn't saying, he's not breaking the law. He's not denying the, the provision for divorce in the law. He's just saying that it's bad. 
like the, the law isn't bad, but getting divorced is a bad thing. Just like murdering somebody is a bad thing and you have law to deal with it. And so that's the same with honorifics that he's calling out here. And it's the same with um, the rest of the issues that Jesus deals with. But first Timothy two seven, Paul says, for this purpose, I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth. I am not lying. Anybody Whoa. can write. Oh, my <laughs> intent what an is to simply make. Bye -bye. Says a person who is not lying. And a true and faithful teacher of the Gentiles. So right there, he's calling himself a teacher. He very much considers him a, himself a teacher. That he spends his letters teaching people how to be Christian. Command of God. He wasn't giving himself the honorific title. It's just a role he was playing. And so it's so interesting to me that Jesus is very specifically says, you are not a teacher. You are not an instructor. You were to be a... This is very bad reading. So first contradiction is already a really bad reading of Jesus. Humble servant. <laughs> that is your ministry. And then Paul comes on scene immediately and he starts teaching. He starts building churches and teaching them on how to be and giving them rules. The great, the great Commission, you know, Matthew, I mean, for somebody who previously was a Christian, you'd think you'd remember like probably the second most famous verse from the Gospels, which is... Um, like what he says to the disciples, go forth, make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey my commandments. That's that's the Great Commission, right? It's probably right there. But Jesus wept or whatever else the most famous gospel verse is. So bad one to miss there. Rules for how to live. Jesus didn't say to do that. And he didn't say, hey, I'm going to send someone after my death to come along and be your teacher. He didn't say he, he does actually say that he's going to give an instructor the Holy Spirit, which is fulfillment of Ezekiel prophecies and whatever else. So um, Paul's not the Holy Spirit, filled the Holy Spirit perhaps, but so are all Christians. Um, but he's definitely, he definitely does say that too. This just seems like a straight up miss uh, biblical literacy from Kristen. Say that. He didn't prophesy Paul at all. I would be more convinced that Paul was who he said he was if Jesus had prophesied that Paul was going to come on scene, but he never did. Jesus never said anything about Paul or even implied that there would be a Paul to come on scene after he was gone to continue anybody Christians included who holds Paul as like the primary heir of Jesus Christ is wrong, right? There's 12 disciples who weren't Paul. And then there's Paul. There's also Barnabas and Stephen and James and Jude who don't even count as the 12 apostles, right? There's plenty of people who have biblical authority who write scripture who aren't like the direct predecessor or ancestor of Jesus, right? Jesus himself was unique. Managarasteo, like the, the one begotten son. Paul is not at the same authority as Jesus, but Jesus definitely gives authority to his apostles, gives authority to 70 people as they go out during his ministry while he's alive, let alone after he's dead. So um, Jesus definitely gives authority out to disciples, apostles. That's, again, part of the Great Commission, which maybe you missed. In you, his teachings, you'd think Jesus would have clarified that. Our second contradiction comes in Matthew 7, starting in verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and your name drive out demons, and your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. So he has said, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's pretty clear. But Paul says in Romans 10, verse 13, which he is he's, uh, quoting Joel 2.32, but he says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Again, it's in English too, so it's not just us being crazy here, but call on the name of the Lord and calling him Lord are two different things, right? One, just saying, Lord, Lord, we did all these things in your name doesn't actually make him your Lord. But if you call on the name of the Lord, that's like asking for help from God, calling on the name of the Lord, asking for rescue, repentance, right? Repentance and belief. That's the call of the Gospels, to repent of sin and turn to Jesus Christ. That's what calling on the name of the Lord is. So this is just a straight, I don't understand the phrasing here. That calling on the name of the Lord is asking God, is you know, repenting to God, whereas calling him Lord is just calling him Lord. He's basically saying, like, no matter who you are, if you call on God, you will be saved. But if you look in Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone who calls on my name will be saved. So they're not calling on his name. They're just calling out to him, right? Lord, Lord. That's, again, different use of the phrase here. Understandably confusing, I suppose, but it's not that confusing to, uh, again, the biblically literate. Well, we see conflicting reports here. Our third contradiction comes in Romans 9, where Paul says, therefore, God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and he hardens whom he wants to harden. To me, this is a, a very clear indication that the Calvinists got it right, although a lot of people would disagree with me, but it does say that God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy, and if he decides he doesn't want to have mercy on you, he's not going to have mercy on you. Yeah, it's also, it's a quote from the Old Testament as well, this, this exact phrase, so um, yeah, yeah. 
Speaking my language. But Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. If you are merciful toward others, God will show you mercy. If you... I'm starting to wonder if she dated the Calvinist, right? Or maybe he didn't get it across <laughs> very well because uh, the, the whole point of of God will mercy who he, has mer who he mercies and harden who he hardens is that he's the one who makes somebody merciful. So God is the one who's the initial mover. He makes somebody merciful and then the person is merciful and God has mercy on them. So nobody is truly merciful without the movement of God first. So yes, God is still sovereign, even if he says he will mercy uh, people who mercy others. That's like saying, I will, uh, I will give anybody a donut that comes to my shop and pays me $2. Um, and then you also put an advertisement out saying, like, come and buy my donuts. The existence of the advertisement doesn't mean that the payment is, is the only reason somebody came to your shop. Um, that's a really bad analogy, actually. But God can say that he's going to rescue you. He's going to have mercy on those who have mercy and then be the one who gave them mercy in the first place. There's no logical contradiction there. It's what he says he does. Forgive others, God will forgive you. Jesus says that multiple times. So Jesus is saying that all you have to do in order to receive mercy is to be merciful to other people. Now, this does contradict other things that Jesus says to me. That's not, it's not actually what he's saying. Now, you are making the assumption that when he says, um, he will have mercy on those who have mercy, that he means all you have to do to get to get mercy is to give out mercy. But first of all, you don't know what mercy means in that sentence, right? Because the mercy standard is very high. It's perfection. Um, but two, again, he nowhere in these sentences in the Beatitudes, which is where that line comes from, does God say that this is the only contingent thing you need to do. Me, it even contradicts John 3, 16, where it says whoever believes in God will be saved. You have to believe. The belief is such an important part of it. But here, Jesus is saying, if you show mercy, God is going to show you mercy. Do unto others, and God will do to you. But Paul is not saying that. Paul does not reiterate that point. He doesn't say, be merciful to others, and God will be merciful to you. He says, God is going to have mercy on you if he wants to. Now, in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus talks about not coming to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He says, for truly I tell, to you, tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who set aside one of the least of these commands and teaching teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I feel as though Jesus spends so much of his ministry saying, be kind, do the good works, do good things for other people, love others, care for others, be merciful, be compassionate, be humble, be all of the good qualities, do those things, you will be righteous and you will be called into the kingdom of God. But Paul... But again, backwards, you feel that way, but let's read the actual text. Even in just Matthew, disregard the other gospels, which give even more light to this. Even if you just stay in Matthew, that whole preamble from Jesus is when he's about to give the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is all about... Um, things, corrections to the way the Jews were giving the law. It wasn't, it wasn't abolishing the law. That's why he makes clear, I'm not getting rid of the law. Like this isn't actually changing the law. I'm coming to fulfill the law. In some ways he fulfills it by, by taking the place of the high priest. The current high priest is imperfect, right? In the law. And so Jesus becomes the new high priest that he makes a perfect sacrifice. That's why we don't give animal sacrifices anymore. That's why we don't give other offerings anymore because now Jesus makes it for us on our behalf. Um, but all the civil law, all the moral law that he talks about in the Beatitudes is still totally valid. So he doesn't want anybody claiming like people do today. So this is why he gave the preamble that he was changing the law when he said, love your enemy. That was always the law. That wasn't not the law in the Old Testament. It was always the law. Jesus is just reiterating the law because many of the Jewish teachers had done away with it or put extra traditions on it that didn't need to be there. So when Jesus is teaching others, he definitely, a, a definite theme of his ministry is, is to obey all these commands. It's in the Great Commission, like we talked about. So he does give a lot of commands, reiterating his own law. However, he also makes plain several times in Matthew, and especially in John, so if you can use the Gospel of John, you know, it's a lot in John as well, that those who will be saved are the ones that God chooses. Not like they do good. Yes, the ones that God chooses do good, but it's in that order. God chooses them. They do good. God brings them into the, the kingdom of heaven. It's not their good works that earn them into heaven. It's that they are God's sheep. That's why they hear his voice. That's why they do good works. Now, they do good works. So it's not pretend like it's that they don't do good works. They do do good works. And those who don't get in the kingdom of heaven don't do good works. Um, but that's just a sign of their salvation. And so that's why Jesus makes it such a big point that a good tree, this is straight out of Matthew and the Beatitudes as well, a good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit and that a bad tree cannot produce good fruit and a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. And so 
and he also reiterates, he says, a good person brings out his good things from his storeroom of good, and a bad person brings out his bad things from his storeroom of bad. Like, you are a good or bad person, and then your works come. So it's about who you are, who God makes you truly, and then what you bear fruit in. So the signage is just to show, it's an evidence to people on whether or not you're actually God's, which is really important when it comes to false prophets, false teachers who were abundant in the day, as you mentioned yourself, Kristen. So your understanding of Jesus's gospel from Jesus and disregarding Paul is wrong. Says in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Now, of course, Paul makes other statements about works versus faith and you know faith without works is dead and i again he contradicts himself but he specifically says it is by grace you have been saved through faith and i think this theme just occurs over and over and over again throughout paul's writings it's all about the resurrection of jesus having faith in jesus obeying jesus it's all about the belief in who jesus is and what he did and that is what saves you that is your saving grace whereas jesus spent so much of his ministry not saying believe in me he said it very very few times he said he said do the will of my father which is what i'm telling you these rules you know be kind but so did Paul. I mean, as much as you might focus on Jesus's commands here, Paul also calls out sin like all the time. Just read First and Second Corinthians. It's like all about sin. Um, it's not like he doesn't call out sin and, and call people to good works. And conversely with Jesus, he offers extreme grace too, uh, like with the thief on the cross. Mm-hmm. There's nothing the thief could do except believe Jesus, have faith in him, say, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today, you will be with me in paradise. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also that uh, parable of the workers in the vineyard. Right. Where it's abundant grace shown. Um, there's there's no boasting. Everybody does some work. Uh, uh, somebody who comes at the beginning of the day does eight hours or however long their days were. And somebody comes at the last hour, uh, puts in an hour of work. And then at the end of the day owner pays them all the same i'll get the same wage or reward um because that's what that's a generous uh your owner Mm -hmm. or master so again that was always jesus that that parable is from jesus right not from paul this was the message of the gospel and paul continues it consistently it's not a contradiction be loving show compassion to others do the works that is how you are saved paul says have faith that's how you were saved. Now in Mark 10, six through nine, Jesus says, but at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer. I see where this one is going to you. Two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It says, at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and be united to his wife. So Jesus is insisting that there is this kind of sacred divine expectation that people will get married and they will become one flesh and they will honor God through that because that is- that's not what will means here I mean we can use it and we can get really like specific into the words here but I do not believe and I don't know any New Testament scholars that would believe me maybe like the Duggars or somebody like that but that would say that for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and two will be one flesh is that's not a command to get married. Now it is normative to get married. So that's the normal here. And that's why it's assumed here that a man leaves his father and mother. Um, but this is really just an explanation of a man like will like that's when he, when he does leave his mother and father and united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. Um, so this is not a command to get married. It's just a description that people get married. Of course, most people get married flesh. So they are no longer two, but and, one flesh. Therefore, what? Uh, Jesus also said, ah, I forget where it is, but, um, uh, it's like whoever can accept this, accept it or whatever. And then there are eunuchs by birth, by choice, by whatever. Mm-hmm. Nonetheless, there are eunuchs. There are people who don't get married, and that's completely fine. And right. in some ways, that's good or better. And that's what Jesus said, not Paul. So, in again, it's a lot of out-of-context uh, kind of things being brought up and. Well, she'd probably say that that's a contradiction between Jesus's teachings. When Jesus says here that a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, this is a command to get she married, which it's not. But And then he says there are some who are eunuchs for the kingdom of God, and that's a contradiction between his teachings, whatever. If they're not. You're reading this text wrong. God has joined together. Let no one separate. It says, At the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and be united to his wife. So Jesus is insisting that there is this kind of sacred 
divine expectation that people will get married and they will become one flesh and they will honor God through that because that is the reason the two genders were created according to Jesus. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying. In 1 Corinthians 7 verse 7 through 8, Paul says, I wish that all of you were as I am, which is celibate <laughs> because Paul couldn't get any, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has some theorize that Paul was actually married and a widower, but right. I digress. As that now to the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. So Paul is insisting that people should be celibate. They should not get married. He is not perpetuating this idea that there is this kind of sacred expectation from God that you are supposed to come together as one and be married. I do think it's so interesting that, that Paul has uh, decided to stay unmarried and uh, he thinks that that is just the path that everyone should take since he has too. <laughs> you know, if I can't do it, you can either. <laughs> Our next contradiction comes Matthew. I don't know if she remembers that Jesus also wasn't married. So could Jesus not get any? Um, I mean, you you say as much that Jesus promotes marriage there because it is a normative thing. God created marriage and so he describes it rightly. But Jesus also talks about eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven and says that not all can accept this. Very similar language to Paul ends up saying. I think they're totally aligned there. Um, and then equally, Paul, right after that that message there of saying that I wish you could all be like that, he says, but alas, you can't. And if you burn for lust with for your betrothed or virgin, go ahead and get married because it's better to get married than to burn with lust, which is the majority of people. And that's kind of the counsel to any Christians today is that you, because <laughs> a lot of people would like to say, I must, I am not married by 17. I must be cursed with the gift of celibacy. And then you tell them, okay, if you want to get married, you aren't gifted with celibacy and therefore you should get married. Um, anyways, I digress, but that's the, Jesus and Paul are notoriously aligned on this point. It's probably one of the more controversial points because people don't really like the celibacy aspect or they take it way too far like monks. Um, but they are, they're aligned there. Also, it, it really makes sense for, uh, Paul not being married given all that he went through and his mission because yeah. his wife would be completely tormented, presumably, um, because he was, I don't know shipwrecked thrown in prison i don't know if he was put in a vat of hot oil or whatever <laughs> scalding drunk, yeah uh -huh. whatever. okay yeah but yeah all this terrible awful stuff and yeah well that's not a conducive to great marriage family life and as we know or tradition states at least none of the apostles save peter were married that we know of and peter may not have even had any children again we don't know um, much about the personal lives, but clearly God it was the will of God that these very important men who were going to go out doing very dangerous things, like you suggested, Theodore, were going, he was going to spare their families by having to not have extended families like that. Because uh, as Paul describes and as Jesus describes, a wife, and as Proverbs describes and the Old Testament describes, a wife takes a lot of attention. And so if you're going to be 100% focused on missions, you can't be with a wife because the wife demands, rightfully demands, like 20% of your attention at least, right? So that's just how life is. 544 jesus says but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and this goes on i don't want you to retaliate i don't want you to be angry and bitter toward people who don't agree with you or of you or you know your enemies even if they are your enemies don't don't hate them turn the other cheek pray for them but paul comes he doesn't actually say don't hate your enemies he says you have heard love your neighbor and hate your enemy but i tell you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so he doesn't say don't hate your enemies, but he says, love them by praying for them, right? So there's there's a kind of, there's multiple kinds of love. As we know, there's like a million different ways you can use the word love and equally for hate. And so hate uh, can mean like benign neglect, which is often how Jesus uses it. Um, hate can also mean total disdain and like traditional English hatred for something. And so when Jesus says, don't hate your enemies, you have heard hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies. All he means is don't benignly neglect your enemies and not give them justice. Give them justice and pray that um, they come to Christ, right? But that doesn't mean you don't hate their opinions or you hate them in their sin. Jesus himself says, I hate the Nicolaitans in Revelation. He also talks about hate elsewhere. Of course, God hates certain people and things. Um, that's because he's righteous and hates injustice. He hates evil things. That's Hate is good when it's against evil things along and in galatians 1 8 through 9 he says but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you let them be under god's curse as we have already said so now i say again if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted let them be under god's curse he basically just he just repeats it like this is so important to him that if somebody else is preaching something different than paul is because paul has the right gospel and everybody else has the wrong gospel 
Paul even says that if I come preaching to you a different gospel, so like he also calls himself out in case he ever becomes a false prophet, um, which he was not, that you should also disregard him, that there is a true gospel, then there are many who are trying to distort it. And again, this is totally righteous. This is people who are trying to pervert the gospel. Jesus also calls out. He yells at the Pharisees, calling them snakes and false prophets and whitewashed tombs, leading people to destruction, all the rest. Which is a very convenient thing to tell people when you want to make sure that they don't listen to anyone else and they just do whatever you say. Paul says, if, if anybody else preaching a different gospel, God will curse them. I want them to be cursed by God. I am invoking God's curse upon them. I would argue that invoking curses upon people that are just simply teaching a different gospel than you, they're not even your enemy, but they're just, they're sharing a different message than you, is is quite a stretch from love and pray for your enemies. I, I a different gospel is an evil thing, right? Because other gospels don't save. There's only one gospel that saves. That's why the anathema there and those who teach a different gospel. I would say that praying for and cursing are probably like, I think they're like polar opposites, you know? <laughs> I don't think that you can curse someone and pray for them and love them at the same time. Paul comes on scene right after Jesus and instead of- Totally wrong, by the way. I mean, you can love um, your attacker, you can love your murderer and still have them charged, right? Love is a good justice. It depends on your definition of love here because again, love can be used in different ways. I think we all agree that it doesn't mean the romantic, kissy-kissy, erotic love, right? That's not what Jesus is demanding, and that's not what God demands either for your enemies. Um, so equally, it doesn't mean that loving like, oh, I've got good feelings for you, like you're my best friend. Love just means you pray for them, right? You pray for justice. You pray for for um, that, that justice be metered out, right? Your enemy, you wouldn't want to just be like attacked by bald eagles randomly, right? You, you pray for them that justice be metered out. But in the same way, if your enemy is a murderer, you might pray for them that they receive do justice, just like the do justice somebody would have for preaching a false gospel is to be cursed by God. Of loving his enemies, he just curses all of them. Now, the last one I want to present is not as clear of a contradiction, but I do think that the attitude and the teaching of Paul in this specific scenario is so different than the attitude of Jesus. And that is how Paul treats women and what he thinks of women. In Jesus's ministry, he, he interacted with many women. And in the book of John, after the resurrection or at the, the resurrection, uh, Jesus I don't know why she pretends she likes Jesus when she doesn't like Jesus, right? She she says he contradicts himself. She doesn't believe he resurrected clearly. Um, but then she's on on the other foot, she's saying, but Jesus is good, right, guys? And you should hate Paul because he contradicted Jesus. But also Jesus is fake. I mean, clearly she doesn't believe Jesus is real, or at least that he didn't raise the dead. Jesus in verse 17 says to Mary Magdalene, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that she had said these things to her. So when Jesus allegedly resurrects, he entrusts a woman to go and tell people what happened, to tell men what happened. Jesus is not putting men and women on these these different levels. Jesus is kind of seeing everybody as equal. And in fact, I feel like he elevates women a lot throughout the writings. I'm not Jesus's biggest fan, but I can recognize that he was good to women. He didn't see women as weak or incapable. And he appeared to a woman and told that woman to go and tell, tell people what happened. Tell my disciples. That is a very big stretch from 1 Timothy 2.12, where he says, I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. Wow, I like that. Where in any of Jesus's teachings did he indicate that women specifically were not allowed to teach, have authority over a man, and that they were to remain quiet? He didn't. <laughs> well, we really want to get into this. Um, I think we're, we're all aware of the Old Testament law that required women to be separate from men in the temple. It was a big deal in the temple, right? Um, Jesus upheld the law, as you so eloquently said yourself, Kristen. So he would have absolutely upheld the proper roles for men and women, which included things that would make your hair stand on end because they're so not woke. Um, there are proper roles for men and women. And while some of the traditions of the Jews are totally wrong, and I would stand with you in uh, disregarding, there are some things that are given by God's law specifically that are still totally valid today, including the the roles that Paul lays out for women, and that is they should not teach an authority over men in church. That's how he lays it out. And also that the husband is the head of the family. And so the husband makes final decisions. Again, look at the Old Testament law. Jesus was the giver of the Old Testament law. He's the giver and reminder of the law in his day. He's consistent with these roles for women. So this is not a 
a contradiction between Paul and Jesus. This is straight up consistency with the law. And there are some things that change, uh, like Paul talks Paul <laughs> Paul talks about uh, that there's no longer a man or a woman. So this would be his this would be the egalitarian's fighter verse um, that there's no longer male or female in Christ Jesus, um, because we all have equal worth. We're, we're all brought together as brothers, all of us brothers in Christ. Um, but that doesn't mean that you aren't a woman. That just means that the fact that you are a woman is no longer separating you from God. It's not giving you a different um, worth to God. And like you said, Kristen, God often chooses women because they are the weaker vessel to prove his worthiness. It doesn't make them not weak. It doesn't make Mary Magdalene not a not the most grandiose messenger for Jesus's return, right? The ex-prostitute, if we believe it to be. But it means that God chose them anyways, even though they were weak, even though they were the ex-prostitute. So that's really a statement or on God, not on the, the worthiness of Mary Magdalene. So again, don't, don't get it twisted here. The reason that Jesus lifted up women wasn't because women were so great, just like men aren't so great. He lifted up women because of his graciousness to the weak. So it's just his valuing on the weak. It doesn't mean that women aren't weak. I mean, men are weak. So like, yes, women are weaker than men. But it's not like men are like super awesome and the guy was choosing men because they're super awesome. But women, he did, you know, because they were weak and he wanted to show his awesomeness just for them. He, he picked all humanity because humanity is weak and gross. It's all from his grace. So it shouldn't offend us to think that Jesus picked bad people to make good. That's the gospel. He didn't share that message. And you'd think that if Paul was just continuing the message of Jesus, that Jesus would have said something like this, but he didn't. He showed no indication of seeing women as the weaker vessel. He showed no indication of, of, of you know, not wanting women to speak up. You know, he, he didn't tell women to be quiet. He told Mary Magdalene. Of course he did. His mother comes and he says, who is my mother? And his mother comes to stop him from preaching. And he says, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? These are my mother and brothers and sisters. These who follow my God, right? Pointing to his disciples. So he denies his mother there. Um, and of course, he calls the Phoenician woman a dog. Um, whether that's endearing dog or whatever, it's clearly lesser than a Jew. So that's straight to a woman's face. Um, now, he's not evil. He's not unjust like many men would have been back then. So he is still God, just to women and um, who were downtrodden that day, no doubt. But don't think that Jesus was a modern-day leftist because he clearly was not. Magdalene, go out and tell people talk, speak. But Paul comes along and he's like, we need to make sure that women stay quiet and, and women cannot be teaching over men, which assumes that men can be teaching men. Men can be teachers, even though like we saw before, Jesus says, don't call people a teacher. You totally different. Um, as we already discussed, I will also say that if you read Paul, 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 so not James, not Peter, not even the gospels, Paul, um, he talks about women prophesying in church when it's proper for women to prophesy and that they should have their heads covered when they're prophesying. So clearly, Paul is not kicking the women out or putting them on the sidelines or even splitting them like the old temple was. They're in service. They're doing prophecy, which isn't even common today. So he's, he's doing, he's letting and endorsing women doing things that we don't even normally do today in church. You just have a problem with the fact that there is a proper role for women that includes them not being teachers. Like, can we not have any differences in roles here? If there can be any differences in roles, here's one, and you immediately shirk it. Um, but it's not less honorable for women to not be teachers. That's it's it's a envy of roles that aren't fit for you. You are not a teacher. You must be a humble servant. He wanted people to be servants. He washed feet for his sake. I was gonna say Christ's sakes, but you know. Anyway, what a far leap from any of the teachings that we read about from Jesus in the Gospels. Now, is it possible that there are teachings that didn't make the Gospels that were being, you know, passed on as, as oral tradition and Paul heard those and that's what he was going off of? Maybe. And Jesus didn't make sure to specify, hey, make sure make sure you treat women as kind of second class. That's really important to me. So Paul is adding to the words of Jesus. He's making up his own rules. It's not second class to not be able to teach. Children can't teach and not every man teaches. You know, I'm not a teacher at my church. Most men aren't, right? There can only be a couple elders. There can't be, everybody can't be an elder. So most men are not elders. Most men are not fit to teach. So this, this whole calling them second class just because they aren't teach is wrong. I believe firmly that the greater, the rankings in heaven will not be consistent of elders on top and all the congregation beneath them in, in heaven. I believe God knows exactly who is good and that he places some in servant roles in this life that will be greater than those who are in leadership roles in this life. So the assumption that just because you're in a leadership role in this life means that you're greater in God's eyes is wrong, okay? And I would think of all the, the anti-authoritarian, anti-God people that you'd be championing that cause, that God 
exalts the servants and that he allows servants in this life to be rewarded in the next life. And apparently you can't see past it when it's, um, when, when hierarchy is in your face. You, you can't see past, you can't see why God might be using it in this life. And to me, these all feel so contradictory to the overall theming, the overall message of Jesus, according to the Gospels. To me, reading the words of Jesus and then reading the words of Paul, the two, I feel like they butt heads. <laughs> Who's going to win, Jesus or, or Paul? Uh, well, I know who won out in the modern church, and that's Paul. Paul won out because the churches love to quote Paul more than they love to quote Jesus. This would be my final side. Sorry, I'm like, talking this whole time, Theodore. Pretty classic, Michael. Uh, it's fine. I'm uh, making a concluding statement. <laughs> oh, good. No, that's classic Theodore. Like we're playing into our, our roles. Uh, the only reason you think that the modern church does this is because all the churches that didn't have male headship, it didn't quote Paul, are dead, right? There are the, the lesbian, chunky lesbian pastorette in, in Vancouver out there. It's just the only people that visit her and come to her congregation are her friends, right? So all six of her friends are in the audience. Those churches die because they aren't rooted in the Bible. They aren't true and people leave the church. So the reason that conservative Christianity is the thing that's currently popular is because that's what's true. Every other version of Christianity is not true. And while not every church that's conservative has everything right, um, I don't think my own church has everything right. I don't know that I have everything right. Like the Lord will correct me in heaven or maybe in this life, God willing. But those who try to stick to the Bible survive. Those who knowingly disregard the Bible, i.e. they disregard Paul or whatever else, right? they disregard parts of the gospel they don't want, die. That's a rule of churches since since 2,000 um, years after Christ and all the way back to the Middle Ages, all the way back to the early church. Like, this is how the church has lived and died, is you were either close to the Bible or you weren't. And those churches that strayed from the Bible, that brought in women pastors, that brought in homosexuals, even prior to the modern age, like there were homosexual movements prior to the modern age, um, those who pushed the denial of Paul or the adding of extra scriptures to the, to the Bible have died or are currently dying. And you witness that in the United States. So it's survivor's bias when you point to say that, oh, woe is us if only the church hadn't listened to Paul. Plenty of quote-unquote churches didn't listen to Paul. They're just gone now. Like that's Proof is in the pudding as far as who is faithful to God and who is not. They, they love using the rules and the regulations and all the things that Paul told them to do and Paul told them to be. They like focusing on that way more than they like the idea of just being humble servants and loving people. So I definitely want to do a deeper dive on Paul. If you are interested in that and interested in hearing my thoughts and theories on Paul, who he was, what his intents and motives were, let me know in the comments and I might make a video on that in the future. I have a lot of strong opinions, some perhaps a bit more conspiratorial than others. <laughs> I, you know, don't necessarily fully fall into the camp that Christianity was, a, you know, made up by the Romans as a tool for, you know, oppression and control. Although I think it's possible the Roman government might have taken some opportunities with the spread of early Christianity and, and, and maybe Paul was a part of that. That's just my personal opinion that a lot of people will disagree with. You know, we all have our, our own thoughts and ideas and I have some very strong thoughts and ideas on Paul. So maybe in the future, I will make a video and share those with you and we can kind of discuss those a little bit further. And maybe you guys can provide some insight that I haven't considered. So I hope you enjoyed this video. Don't forget about my merch shop, jezebelvibes.com slash merch. I will link it in the description. Jezebel Vibes. <laughs> Dang, dude. It's where I share a lot of my hot takes. I get a little snarky over there. And, you know, we have a little bit more fun. You can follow me over there if you want to see more of my content. And as always, please like, subscribe, leave a comment, ring the bell, do the things. If you like my content, you want to support it. Those are ways that you can really help me and help my channel grow. We are growing at a pretty rapid rate. As I make this video, we're right around right, 20. I'm just going to pause there because she's doing her closing statement. Theodore, I've talked a lot. Do you have a closing statement for us on, on Jezebel My closing vibes? statement. So, both Jesus and Paul preached the same gospel that all have sinned, that all have sinned, and simply trying on our own to obey commands and covenants was and is not enough. Both emphasized faith in Jesus and the sufficiency and necessity of his sacrifice for us, and that is something only God or Jesus could accomplish, that to do the work uh, or works of God is to believe on the one whom he has sent. It's a quote from John, I believe. Um, and the one whom he has sent is Jesus. And that being born again is necessary. That is being born of the spirit of God, which is the work of the love and mercy of God. Amen. And when I, I will say what I appreciated 
the misjustable vibes. Now I can't get that out of my head. Um, what Kristen was presenting, I appreciate that she presented scripture. This wasn't a conjecture about what they might have believed or extra biblical sources or other weird conspiracies. I really appreciate that. She also didn't leave up parts of the corpus. She didn't say that Paul, it was like pseudo Paul wrote Galatians or whatever else the crazy theories are these days. So I appreciate that honesty, or at least that offer to Christians that are listening to her video. It doesn't sound like she necessarily believes some of the viewpoints that she was espousing here because she's playing devil's advocate for the sake of showing that Jesus contradicted Paul or Paul contradicted Jesus. But I appreciate the stance she took on most of it and assuming that that scripture is true, assuming that Jesus was real and true and the proper one here, um, even if she didn't really believe it. Um, so I appreciate all of that. And I appreciate the attempt from scripture. This is the kind of attack that I would like to see against Christianity because it's powerful if it is true and it totally fell flat here. Um, now, it's an attempt. And I think that if you didn't know the Bible, you would be hit by a couple. Some of them are like are so plainly not contradictions that it's right there, even in the text she's showing. If you don't know the Bible, you might be hit by some of these. Um, but that's why we should know our Bible and read it in context so that you know when she quotes something, you know where in the Bible that is and what the context around that quote was so that you're not thrown off by quotes like um, Jesus saying that you should love your enemies and then she's saying that Paul says, curse be upon you, your enemies, right? And you have to know what Jesus said in all of his corpus and what loving your enemies meant in that that circumstance because we all use words that need context around them and so do the biblical authors that being said like you said theodore seven contradictions were not contradictions it kind of just proved that they were totally aligned sometimes notoriously aligned like on the celibacy stuff so was paul jesus no um does paul's the same authority as jesus no and there are possibly pauline letters and advice that paul gave that never made it to the bible because it wasn't authoritative so we only have what we have in the Pauline corpus because God brought it a scripture. Like God inspired these scriptures. And so it's not Paul the man that was so great. It was the Holy Spirit moving through Paul, just like it was the Holy Spirit moving through James and Peter and John and all the other authors in the New Testament and the Old Testament. This is the way God has been working from the very beginning. And that's why we have found our cause in serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I've been Michael, the man behind the machine, and all the way to my virtual front, it's been... Door under the PC. <laughs> Thank you for watching. If you're interested in the rest of our episodes, you got to go to foundcause.podbean.com to listen to the audio. It's audio only, though. If you want to see our beautiful faces and uh, the one girl that's ever been in our podcast, Kristen, uh, <laughs> shout out. you got to go to YouTube or you can go to facebook.com forward slash foundcause. We're also on iTunes and Spotify and wherever else you might find your podcast. Until next time, when we do another snarky response video, bye-bye. <laughs>